0: My text for today comes from the last book of the Bible, from the book of of the Revelation to St. John, I'll read in verse, begin with verse four. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. The Word of the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word in print and Holy Scripture. We thank you for your Word written thousands of years ago that comes echoing down to us through the centuries with a, a freshness and indeed an application in our time. If we're willing to heed the application. Come Lord Jesus into our into our stupor wake us convict us with the power of your word that that this year this day this moment is not all there is you're coming again and then what come lord jesus in your name we pray it amen and and amen john was the the last surviving member of jesus original Twelve disciples. He was old, probably in his 90s, living in exile on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. During a very, very dangerous time to be a follower of Jesus. A dangerous time because in, in this part of the first century, the Roman Empire was committed to eradicating any vestige of the Christian movement. Isolated and confined to his little world of of prayers and and memories, all John could do would be to wait and to wonder. And then it happened. As John recounts the event, it was on the Lord's Day. On the Lord's Day and he was in the spirit when a voice that sounded like the, the thunder of a trumpet came forth. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Powerful words, powerful symbols. My friends, indeed, we are dealing with powerful symbols when we consider this verse, Alpha and Omega are the, the first and last letters of the, of the Greek alphabet. The words speak of completeness, completeness, but God Of completeness. One who is sure and steadfast whatever the times. One who is there at the beginning of things when life emerges. One who is there at the beginning of things. We have little or no control over the beginning of our lives. I suspect all of us have memories that go back to somewhere around the beginning of our lives. But in fact, I suspect most of the memories that we have are, are other people's memories that have been shared with us over the years as we looked at pictures and things like that. And, and we, we, we appropriated those to be our own memories. One of the first memories that I can remember as being genuinely mine took place as I was walking on Main Street in Sumter, South Carolina. I was a little fellow, maybe about three years old, holding my grandfather's hand. And as we were walking together down Main Street in that little country town back then, he met one of his friends, Judge Robert Obadiah Purdy III. Judge Purdy had been a judge in Sumter County for, for decades. And, and as I remembered, he wasn't as tall as, as my father, but as my grandfather, but he was much more rotund. He had a beard, and, and he looked the part of a, of a judge. And when Papa told Judge Purdy who I was, he looked at me and he said, Son, I remember when your daddy was a little boy just like you. I remember when he played basketball at Sumter High School and then played basketball for the University of South Carolina. In fact, I remember when your father and your mother got married. And then he paused and said, come to think of it, I knew your mommy and daddy long before you were even a gleam in their eyes. He knew me before I knew myself, he said. But of course, as human beings, we can't do that. But it is true that we have little to do with with our beginnings. We have little to do with the circumstances of our birth. But the point is, God knew about it. And he was there. Why? Because he is Alpha. Think back to your beginnings. Thank God today for the blessings of your birth. God's also Omega, the end of things. And that speaks of of completion. Just as we have little or no control over our beginnings, we have little or no control over our endings. Oh, sure, doctors tell us that if we eat right and exercise regularly and don't abuse our bodies, that we can perhaps add a day or two to the span of our, of our lives. But the thing is, one day, our time will come. And as the psalmist tells us, you sweep men away from the sleep of death. They're, they're like the new grass of the morning. That in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. The psalmist is telling us, reminding us of what we know so well, that in the great scheme of things, we are literally here today and we are gone tomorrow. We have a little control over our ending, but God does. He does because he will be there. Why? Because he is Omega, the God of completeness. Whether beginning or or end, we can trust him whatever the circumstances, he is always with us. When Abraham Lincoln was preparing to leave Springfield, Illinois, to travel to Washington to assume the presidency of the United States, folks in Springfield gathered there at the train station to tell him goodbye. They knew the the challenges that were ahead of him, they knew the burdens that he would be facing, and, and they wanted to let him know as he departed that the folks back home Were supportive of him, and would be praying for him. Among the folks gathered there was an elderly Quaker lady. When all the others had had departed, she took Mr. Lincoln by the hand and she whispered in his ear, Friend Abraham, God will surely go with thee. Even in thy mansion with all its rooms, his footsteps will be beside thine. Years later, with the war raging, with the government and and the country deeply divided, and with assassinations and plots swirling all around him, those words whispered on a faraway train platform sustained Abraham Lincoln. When he was killed, as they were going through his desk, the desk that he had sat at many, many hours way up into the night, writing letters of condolences to the parents of of young men who had been killed during the war fighting for the Union Army, in that desk they found in President Lincoln's handwriting, the words of the Quaker lady had whispered in his ear, God will surely go with thee. God will surely go with thee, my dear ones, for he is Alpha and Omega. He is the God of completeness. No, it's a fact that we have little or no control over the beginning and ending of our lives. But it's also a fact that we have a whole lot of control over what happens in between, and that's where we are. You see, all of us here today have already moved beyond, have already moved beyond Alpha, but we've not yet reached Omega. So we're living in between times. We're living between already and, and not yet. The question is, what does Jesus offer us in this in-between time? I believe that we'll find the answer as we unpack two verses in, in today's text. The verses are these, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever man! The words tell us the first five words there, that God loves us. And the Bible makes it clear that God's love for us is unconditional, that God is always in every way and everywhere loving us, wooing us, trying to win us to himself. God loves us through our hurts, our hopes. And indeed, God loves us through our healings. But I've noticed that that our tendency is to question God's love when the going gets tough. A few years back, one of our members was diagnosed with with terminal cancer. As I sat with him in a quiet moment one evening, he, he asked, he said, Chuck, does this mean that God does not love me anymore? In a similar way, as I held a mother sobbing in my arms, a mother whose daughter had just been killed in an accident. Through her tears, she looked at me and she said, Has God turned His back on our family? See, friends, when life comes crashing in on us, we wonder about the love of God. In the the heat of the moment, we forget that God is always in every way and everywhere, loving us. Now, that's an important truth for us to grasp. It's an important truth for us to hold close. Because the hurts we experience, the disappointments that burden us, the dreams that vanish, the child that rebels, the spouse who is unfaithful, the illness that debilitates, the friend who betrays, none of, it, none of it can separate us from the love of God. If no one else in the world loves you, friends, please remember that God loves you. I tell you that every week. And why do I do that? Because I don't want you to forget it. And here's the thing. God loves us and as members of his church, as members of the body of Christ, it's our responsibility to let the love of God shine through our lives. Why? So that others can feel it, so that others can experience it, so that others can know it. That's the hallmark of Christian life between already and not yet. Looking again. At our text. To him who, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So as you notice the underlined text, first, God loves us. And secondly, God has freed us from our sins. How? By the power of Jesus' blood shed on Calvary. That's what the cross is all about, folks. But for some reason, it's hard for us to deal with the truth that we are sinners. Look at that second underline. What does it say? It has freed us from our sins. Our sins. See, we want to ignore that word, that word, our. See, our, our tendency is to acknowledge that, that evil exists in the world. It exists in our state, in our town, in our society, in our workplace, but never in ourselves. St. Augustine once said, never fight evil as if it were something that arose totally outside of yourself. Now with those words, St. Augustine is confronting us with a, with a hard truth. And that hard truth is this. Sin is always rooted in self. S I And What's the middle letter? I. I. And that's the truth of it, folks. We are sinners. Over the years, I've had the privilege of working with a number of of African-American priests and pastors. They all loved God passionately. They all knew God's Word to the letter, and they could solid, solid preach it. I can still hear my friend of earned Witherspoon thundering forth from his pulpit, quoting from God's trombones. Oh, oh sinner, where will you stand on that great day when God's are gonna rain down fire? Oh you gambling man, where will you stand? You whoremongering man, where where will you stand? Liars and backsliders? Where will you stand on that great day when God's are gonna rain down fire? Where will you be standing on that great judgment day? We know where we want to be standing, don't we? We know that on that great day when God's going to rain down fire, that that we want to be standing in the hands of a loving God who through the shed blood of Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins. That's where we want to be standing. And by God's grace, we can be right there. But the question for this morning is, Is that where we're really going to be? Returning for a final time to the text. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and had made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So as we struggle in this in-between time, between already and not yet, between Alpha and Omega, We know that God loves us, that God has freed us from the penalty of our sins, and that God invites us to love him in return, to love him as members of his kingdom. We speak about the kingdom of God often. But do you realize that that in the Bible, the kingdom of God is never described in terms of territory or place? It's always described in terms of relationships. And that's what God's saying to us in, in our text today. God loves us, and he wants us to love him in return. That's why God created us. Before we can truly love God, we've got to meet him. Not just talk about him. Not just read about him. Not just sing about him. We've got to meet Him and get to know Him personally. The longer I live, the more I'm convinced that as we struggle to savor the fullness of life between already and, and not yet, more than a creed, more than a set of rules, we need a redeeming relationship. And that's what Jesus offers us. I'm sure that over the years y'all have seen passion plays, plays that are, that are set on, on Good Friday and, and are all centered on the crucifixion of Jesus. Long ago, I saw a passion play in which the centurion who stood at the foot of Jesus' cross with Jesus' dead body hanging above him looked at Jesus' mother, who was weeping, distraught, as you would be if you were a mother who had just watched her son be killed. And he says to her, I tell you, woman, this dead son of yours, disfigured, shamed, spat upon, has built this day a kingdom that will never die, a kingdom that will never die. And so it is, my friends. But the question is, are you a part of his kingdom? Is your life made different today? because you know that God loves you, that through Jesus Christ He has freed you from the penalty of your sins, and that you have responded to God's invitation to love Him back by loving Him. I pray that you have, but I fear that, that some of you haven't. I say that because in the first chapter of John's Gospel, we're told a truth is seen to become more and more obvious with every passing day. The same John who wrote the text for day in his gospel in the 10th and 11th verse said this. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. You're called to be his own. Are you? Have you received him? I ask because the answer to that question confronts us with a, with a hard truth. And that truth is that, that more and more and more by word, by deed, by belief, by thought, We are increasingly aligned with the people out there who don't know Jesus. We're increasingly aligned with the people all around who don't accept the fact that they are sinners and consequently they reject their need for a savior. I passed by the outlet mall a week ago. Black Friday, I think it was. The cars were all lined up out there trying to get into the outlets just trying to get off of 278. They were all piled up out there. A lot of those people go to church. Perhaps you were among those people. And see, the folks that are in those stores, they know us. They want to keep us in, our, in those stores as long as they possibly can so that we'll spend the money. See. So the last thing they want to do is, is alienate us. And consequently... The songs, the music that's being played in stores this year is very different from the music that was played when I was doing Christmas shopping as that little child. Back then, when you walked in the stores at Christmas time to do shopping, you heard Christmas carols. Not anymore. Because you see, the folks who are on those stores, they don't want to alienate their customers by assaulting them with verbally with with the words angels we've heard on high See, angels from your realms of glory come and worship christ the newborn king you're not going to hear those great hymns in stores now you're more likely to hear it's a holly jolly christmas or santa claus is coming to town something like that but nothing that's going to yank you up short and cause you to consider the fact that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And God loved you so much that he sent his son. The Apostle John went on to say, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, whenever in Scripture you read something and it starts with but or with yet, something big is coming right behind it. And this is something big to all who received and believed. To all who received and believed. When Jesus comes again, and he surely is going to come again because he's he's omega. When Jesus comes again, will you be among those who have received and believed? Will you be among those who are numbered among his children? Or will you be among the mournful chorus singing that old gospel song, Sweet little Jesus boy, born in a manger, sweet little holy child, we didn't know who you were, didn't know you'd come to, to save us all, to take our sins away. Our eyes were blind, we did not see, we didn't know who you were. You have no excuse. You know who that little child grew up to be. You've seen proof of Jesus' great love for you. You cannot plead ignorance on that great day when God's going to rain down fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we tend to, to drift blissfully through this life as if it's never going to end. We just ease along as if the days are not connected, as if there's never going to be any accountability. We drift along thinking how great we are instead of how great thou art. If we don't accept the fact that, that we've fallen short, that we're, we talk about walking in your image, but we don't really know you well enough to know what that image is, we much prefer to, to be like comedians, fitting in with those around us, just blending in, afraid to to stand out by saying a word for you for fear that we'll be cast out by, by those who are all around us. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to see your great love for us in spite of our sinfulness, a love so great that you sent your son to die on a cross to free us from the penalty for those sins. And you ask only that we that we love you in return. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we do pray it. Amen and, and amen.